Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We uh, are in Parshat Lech Lecha this morning. We are in the 12th chapter of the book of Genesis. We are in the first We've gone back after Simchas Torah. We have started reading the Torah again. And we are now in the first triennial year of a triennial cycle. Last year, obviously, we were in the last third of every Torah portion. Now we're going to be in the first third of every Torah portion. So that means chapter 12, verse 1. We're going to start the beginning of every Parsha. It's not going to be as hard to find anymore. We're coming out of uh, Noah. Yes? Last week... We were in Parshat Noach. I was not here. I was at the board retreat. I know you learned with our rabbinic intern, Daniel. He was wonderful. Excellent to hear. So we have at the beginning of the creation narrative, which we read two weeks ago. And as some of you may know, I'm a fabulous artist. <laughs> One of my many gifts and talents. Um, so we have water, right? Remember we read the creation narrative and it says, the There was nothing except darkness hover, and the Spirit of God hovering over the deep. So water's already there. How does creation happen? In ancient Near Eastern cosmology, something has to happen with this water in order for land, for the earth to exist. And in Mesopotamian cosmology, the body of the goddess, Tiamat, is cut in half. And half of her body is here, and half of her body is here, which creates a space in the water for the land to exist. Where is this water? The top water, where is that? In the heavens. And this water is below the earth, the seas, right? And, and when you dig and water comes up, right, it's because there's water above and there's water below. And that's how everything that's brown land and all this good stuff, that's how it exists. It is not an accident that in Parshat Noah, how do we undo creation? The waters above and the waters below merge again. Right? It is not an accident that it is a flood that destroys creation. It's as if everything that had kept it stable, everything that had kept it established is pulled out. And so it pulled out from the middle. And so then cosmologically, what's got to happen? The water from below and the water above meet, and it's all watery destruction. Way too much metaphor here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying that I find this um, an amazing thing to locate ourselves right now in this moment in time, this moment in history, um, looking at Torah, where where we are in Torah. Watery chaos, mess, and then the water recedes and life comes off the teva, comes off the ark, and... We begin the generations since Noah, right? Beginning with Noah. Okay. But then what happens? Um, Then we get the beginning of the story of a specific family, right? First of all, we have uh, in Parshat Noah a a lesser known story. Uh, The folks uh, start to build a tower. And they're building a tower for what purpose? To reach the heavens, but what's what? So they want it to reach the heavens, but what's the purpose that they say they're building it for? Nope, that's not what they say. That may be what they're doing. That's not what they say they're doing. They want to make a name for themselves. They want to make a name for themselves. <laughs> they want to make a name for themselves. Do they want their name on top of the just say it. It's Torah, people. I can only give you what I got. They're trying to build the tallest tower ever to make a name for themselves. The divine sees this and is not happy. God sees this and says, 
I don't think so. This is megalomania. This is not acceptable behavior. And so God comes down, and what does God do to stop this project? What's the result? What does God do? Scrambles their languages. Spreads the people out and gives them different languages so that they don't understand each other. Because that's better than the alternative, which is everybody's on the same page and about a building project and making a name for themselves, and that's what all of their time and energy and attention and resources are going towards, that that's the worst. Spreading out lots of different languages, that is the solution. That's how it's supposed to be, right? So we get the Tower of Babel, Babel right? Um, and this is where Babel comes from, right? That babbling means you don't understand what someone's saying because once they are spread out and speak di- different languages, they no longer understand each other and it sounds like babble what someone else is saying to them now okay division separation different languages different agendas is a good thing we must remember in Torah it's a good thing um of course, there's the messianic vision that someday we're all going to be on the same page. And on that day, God will be one and God's name will be one. So it's not that we don't have a vision of getting all together again and being on the same page and being about the same project. It's not that. It's that it ain't coming for a really long time, says our teaching. And it's our job to work towards that reality, to, towards the messianic age. Right? We don't believe in Reconstruction Judaism and a personal Messiah, but we believe in the Messianic age and that that is ours to create. Okay, a little preaching. I'll, we'll get back to Torah. So, <laughs> so, so we get this. This has been the story of humanity to this point. We've been, we've been getting the story of all people, starting with Adam and Chava and getting us now to right after the flood. So we're post-Diluvian now people are going to live a lot shorter lives, um, post-Diluvian than anti-Diluvian. Okay? All right. So we're getting the specific story now of one family, and it starts, ba-boom, at verse 12, <coughs> uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Or, but it starts, let me go back to... Um, it's not but it's, yeah, the end of yeah, Noah. Yeah, it's the end of Noah. Parshat Noah where we see Terach took his son Avram, his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Avram, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans for the land of Canaan. But when they had come as far as Haran, they settled there. The days of Terach came to 205 years, and Terach died in Haran. All right, so what did we just learn? Terach... This guy Terach has a son and a and a son-in-law and a grandson and a daughter-in-law, mm-hmm. and they set out together from where they live in Ur, which still exists. Which still exists. Same name. And where are they going? Canaan. Canaan, but they stopped on the way. But they stopped on the way at Haran. We are not told why. So the next thing we get, all we know is is they settle in Haran. The family settles in Haran. So chapter 12, verse 1, here's the next thing that we're told. Somebody want to read? The Lord said to Abram, go forth from your native land and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse him that curses you. And all the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you. Avram went forth as the Lord had commanded him, and Lot went with him. Avram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Avram took his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot, and all the wealth they had amassed, and the persons that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in the land of Canaan, Avram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem at the Terebinth of Morah. The Canaanites were then in the land. Okay. Vayomer Adonai Avram, lech lecha, ma'artzcha, umi moldatcha, umi beit avicha, el ha'aretz asher arecha. 
So God says to Avram, what is the command? What is the call? Lech lecha. Okay. I just love it when people start quoting the JPS English. All right. So talk to me about lech lecha. Go to yourself. So we got go. That's pretty clear. Right? Lech is go. Lecha. Why are we saying to yourself? Because lecha means to you. So go to yourself. That makes absolutely no sense. Well, it can mean go inward. Look inside. Ah. And if that is what is being said here, what does that mean to Avram? Look inside and what? Search your soul. Find out what you want to do. Find out what you want to do. But But it says go to the place that I will show you. So it's not so much what you want to do, but what God will tell you to do. Correct. God says, go to the place that I, Ereka, that I will show you. So you may journey into yourself and, and reflect to find out how to find the courage to do that. This but it, again, then, is Shema. Listen. Listen to what's being told. Okay. So listen is being suggested by Judith, is what's being asked of Avram here. Um, it's also saying, go to a different land, away from your birthplace, away from your father's house. And, you know, when we're living in our father's house, we're one way, it's under his rules, and it's hard to really see who you are until you get out on your own. So he's essentially going to a new place to see... To come to himself. And he didn't mention Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Canaan, he got it wrong. Canada. It was very close. Canaan, Canada, it's very, very confusing, especially in the ancient Ugaritic. It's very close in the Sumerian. Okay, so he, he's called to leave. Because it says, Me'artzcha, you're going to go, Me'artzcha, from your land. And from the place of your birth, and from the house of your father, to the, to the land that I will show you. This is definitely about leaving for Avram. And it is, why say all three of those things? It's like, it could have just said, just leave your, your land or leave your neighborhood. Like what, why all this reiteration of, or this iteration of because your land, your birthplace, the house of your father, Sarah? It's a hard thing to do, to just leave. He's making a case for it. For how, how is this making the case? The land that I will tell you, uh, he has faith in God and... He's being persuaded. He's, so you think this is God trying to persuade Avram? Okay, okay. Um, he's leaving like things that may be considered his identity. So what he knows himself as, he's being like requested to leave that and come here. Leave America. Leave California. Leave Pacific Palisades. <laughs> right. Le- leave all of the ways that you identify in the world. According to place, what you know, leave what you know. It is rather comforting that God's there to show the way, though, and perhaps He's um, God saying, "You will go and see in a new way." So you'll, I will show it to you, but you're going to see it all different. So Dana suggests, and certainly that is the tradition that Avram is the first to worship this one invisible God. So that is certainly seeing things differently than everyone around him, right? He's seeing and is going to see, because we, we don't know that, that Avram has any contact with this God before now, right? Now, I don't know about you, but everyone around you is worshiping one way, and an invisible voice calls to you and says, Amy, <laughs> right, at what part of me trusts that that is a divine call from a God I've never heard of and have absolutely no exposure to the concept of. Judy? Um, I hear 
go to yourself as the personal responsibility that I will show you. But you're going to go to yourself and choose it and be responsible for it, and it won't be given to you. So agency here is... Sorry. Okay. Please silence your cell phones. <laughs> Since the rabbi did not. I, I just keep waiting for a phone call. Is the synagogue open today? Um, <laughs> that's why it's here. So, uh, so agency. I hear you saying that it's about agency. Lech lecha, go inward, because you're going to have to do this. I'll show you, but you have to do something here. And that's going to require... Certain things, so go inside. Because what is he going to find inside? What's what's needed from inside for this Strength. to happen? Strength, faith, faith, belief, belief, courage, courage for sure. It's kind of perfect that this is the parsha. We're all going to a place. Where oh, you, you think no. that could it get more perfect than? Yeah. We have no. Yeah, anyway, go. <clears throat> like I have a daughter who's 27, and the feeling that she can't do it now. She can't do. She can't what now? She can't. She can't succeed. I mean, she she will succeed, but but young women, all of us got these messages from our daughters that just said, "You told us we could do anything." Mm-hmm. And she told us we could do anything. Afterwards, my daughter watched her on her, you know, phone. However, they access all that stuff first thing in the morning. Um, but showed me this, you know, little clip of Hillary saying, "Don't, don't believe them. You can do whatever you want. You can be whoever you want. You can do anything." And um, yesterday in our staff meeting, I we, we were having a conversation. We should we have an inspiration before each staff meeting. Someone from the staff shares a moment that has inspired them, um, and. The prompt was, where have you been inspired from an unexpected place? That's this year's, until we go through the whole staff, that's this cycle's question. And um, so we were discussing that, and then I I started to cry as I started to say, you know, to watch my daughter watch that clip. The grace, the strength, the presence of mind, of true leadership to make that video the next day. Because I don't know about you, but I would be under the covers and I wouldn't come out for six months with only like Twinkies and bad TV. Like, I don't know how people have that kind of inner call to strength and leadership. That's where she went was to to promise girls, you you can still do this. You can do whatever you want. But at the, the moment of the biggest defeat of your entire life, and with knowing, uh, so. And then to hear the president yesterday in his brain saying, "I want you to succeed because if you succeed, our country will succeed." How did he handle that so gracefully? It's called character. Hopeful. It's hopeful. It's hopeful. All right. So leave leave all the things that are familiar to you, all that make you your own identity, Lainey. I'm just wondering if he's really, part of it is talking about physically leaving. But I think a lot of it is talking about, you said, you have to say it so many times, is a change is so hard for us. And so we need a lot of pushes. So it's not enough just to say go. So it's over and over and over because we, like Sarah said, it's a making a case. We have to be convinced because we don't like to leave what we know. We don't like to leave what's familiar, do we? Our bodies don't work. Physically, our bodies, you know, are made up so they, they work where they're used to working a certain way and certain paths and neural paths. And they don't want to form you. So you really have to push them and it might not happen the first time. It might take... 35, a thousand times to get those to change. To get those to fire together. Yeah. I mean, at this time, people didn't move around the way we do either. So it's a yes and a no to that. So semi-nomadic pastoralists <laughs> moved around. Our ancestors were semi-nomadic pastoralists. 
they they went with their community. So you moved, but you didn't leave um, unless you had to, because in the ancient world where where all this is set in the ancient Near East, if you're on your own, if you're alone. You are not only lost, you are toast. Right? You you are vulnerable because there isn't a clan to come avenge your death. If something happens to you, if you are attacked or hurt or, God forbid, killed, there's no one to avenge that. And everyone knows that. So the, the one who is unattached is the most vulnerable in the ancient world. So Avram is not just being told, leave what's familiar. He's being told, leave your community. Leave everybody who can protect you. Leave and go out. And we see who he, you know, he takes. Uh, we're going to see who he decides to take. But he, he's going to be very vulnerable. He's connected. He's rooted in Haran. Uh, and now he's going to be disconnected. Bert? It, it seems to me this is within the context of answering some basic questions about why. And we started at the beginning in Breshid with, you know, why is this all here? And then we just finished with why do people speak, even though we're all descended from the same people, why do we speak different languages? And then if one says this was redacted at a much later point, this starts to answer the question as to why Jews saying, why are we here in the land where we are? So this is, this is the beginning of the story. So some of it is how the elephant got its trunk. Right, and th- this is part of the story of why are we here in Israel? Why are we here in this of, particular and place? An- and part of the answer, is, you know, we came from somewhere else. And part of the answer is, well, here's the story. There was this guy named Abraham, and God spoke to him. Now, whether one accepts that or not, that Israel was, quote, given, that's a whole other thing. That is a big just whole a, other thing. A, no, 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 but just on the surface of it, sure. it's kind of answering that question of, you know, why are we Sure. Here in this land. So from the general to the specific, we've gone from how humans got here, all that stuff, how we speak different languages, to now how is this particular family and its descendants in this place? Okay. But on the other hand, if everybody leaves, who's going to stay and defend what's right and hold up the, the decency quotient that will be abandoned. So let's let's not lay too much on this um, because there's nothing saying he's abandoning anything. It's not saying he's he's the good guy and the other guys aren't. There's nothing to indicate that where he's leaving needs him to help them be good. But there is here. I mean, if we... Oh, now that's another conversation, right? It's just saying he's leaving because he's being called to do that. It doesn't say, "Oh my god, what's going to happen to these people?" They're fine. He's the vulnerable one. But if they're going to be fine. If we can leave the thinking and and yet maintain the reason that he was told to leave and the reason that we're told perhaps to stay, we have found the the best answer from this story. Mm-hmm. You can leave the poison. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. But you can stay and and withstand that, that you're being told to leave. Okay, so one option is to say, no, I'm not going to stay. But if we understand lech lecha as a metaphor, as a journey, I think it works. Yeah. Journeying into the absolute unknown, unknown I, that is our charge, I believe. That I, I promise you, I will show you. You may not see it for four years. <laughs> or till midterm elections, but I will show you the way, the way if you get up and start going. Yeah. But you have to do the journeying in that we've talked yeah, about to find what you need to be able to say, okay, I'm journeying out now. We're Here we go. All right. One thing, and then we're going to go back to the text. I'm not pulling the blankets over my head because that is not who we descend from. We don't descend from someone who says, no, thank you. I like my chaise lounge by the pool. I'm staying right here. That is not who we descend from. My, I just want to say, so one of my sons said to me, maybe I should move to another country. I don't be skilled. And then he said, well, maybe I should get more politically involved. (laughs) 34 years old. And, you know, I really want to help the poor people. Mm -hmm. There you go. There you go. That's a descendant of... Wavering, but um, like with that, well, it might have happened anyway, but certainly the last few days, 
was a calling. One of the lessons we all learn in the sandbox is it's not always fair. <laughs> and, Indeed. You know, kid, kids say, oh, that's not fair. And as parents, we've got to say, you know, sometimes things don't turn out the way you want them to turn out. And then you've got to decide what are you really made of. Okay. So what is Avram told this is about? What, what is he told? You're going to go to some place. I will show you. Uh, excuse me. Why? Right. What is what is this about? It, is, it just it doesn't stop there. What what is what is he told? I will make you legoy gadol. I will make you into a great people. Okay. I, would that convince anyone in this room to go? Okay, great. <laughs> then I'm just going to leave everything. Right. Thank you. I'll have my kids here. Right. So, um, what else is he told? I will bless you. Bless you. And I will. Ah, interesting. Wait, what happened with that Babel thing? So when the people are all about making their name great, that needs to stop. God has to stop that. That, that, nope, right? If God calls you to do something and says, and as part of that, I will make your name great, that is different. When it is about me building the biggest tower that I can to put my name on it, that's hubris. That's ego. When I answer a call and turn within to find the courage and the resources and the ability and the willingness and the whatever it's going to take, when I do that and then heed the call, often our name is made great because it's a it's made great in the service of the Eka, doing what I will show you, says God. And you think of the great people who have I think of Martin Luther King, I think of I think of the people who stepped out of everything that was comfortable, everything that was safe, everything that was known, and answered a call and did what inner work they had to do to answer that call and take those steps forward knowing it would be dangerous knowing it might be fatal and in many cases is even now and then one's name can be great because it's not about being at the top of a big tower it's about being great as an example of the courage and the leadership that it takes to walk into the unknown for a cause, for a good and just and, we would say, godly cause. There's a comment here that says uh, about uh, you shall be a blessing that uh, Hirsch okay, takes this not as a promise but as a command to merit the promised reward. You must so live as to be a blessing in this world. So, so maybe you shall be a blessing. It's not. Re- okay, we, have, we it. haven't gotten there yet, but okay, yeah. so we're, now we are. So I will make your name great, right? And then the next thing is Vehaya Bracha. And you shall be a blessing. And um, Bird is lifting up a commentary that says don't read that as a predictive <laughs> statement. Right? Rather, read it as a command. The tzivoy. Read it in the... What is that? You must be. Imperative. imperative. Read it as an imperative. In the imperative voice, this is, and you must be a blessing. For any of this to happen, you must live in such a way that you are a blessing. What else can it mean? What if it doesn't mean that? What, what else? Or that it means that and. What, what else can it mean? What does this mean? The hayabracha. You will be a blessing. Your, the way you live will exalt God. Will bless God. Mm-hmm. So you will be a blessing to God? By what, by what you do. Mm-hmm. To other people. Mm-hmm. Right. Who, like Rosa Parks. Like Rosa Parks. You will be a bracha. You will actually bring blessing by how you choose to be and move in this world? Yes? yes. 
So that's not about God, is it? You shall be a blessing. It's not about blessing God in that case, right? That's about how you live and what it, and I believe it's tied to this. If you don't do this, you won't be a bracha necessarily. Maybe you will, but you got to get up and do this. Then you will make, be a great nation and, and I, and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. It requires something from us to be in the world a blessing. If you do this. If you do this. It is def- It sounds to me, anyway, very conditional. Do this and this is what will happen. Mm-hmm. Stay home and I'll, no guarantees. <laughs> right? It's the Twinkies. <laughs> it's the Twinkies. There you go. All right. So you shall be a blessing. We can read it imperative or we can read it right as predictive. I will bless those who bless you and curse the one that curses you. And all the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you. What does that mean? Isn't this the light unto nations kind of theme? That it will spread. That it will sp- Okay, you're saying it'll be an example. Right. And and that example means that it will spread. What will spread? The way you live your life. The way you live your life. Godliness. Being a blessing will spread. Nice. And all the families of the earth will bless themselves by you. Hasn't happened yet. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) Not quite. Our very strong reconstructionist idea is that of community. And I think that's a basis for our belief in community, that by being a part of a group that talks about what you're talking about, we spread that knowledge and that blessing if whatever size group we are, the community does it. It's not a one-person job. It's a community job. Well, and we're going to get some suggestion of that because does Avram go out on a solitary hermetic journey to live in a cave and vision what the future is that's to be shown to him? No, he does not. Avram went forth, says verse 4, and Lot went with him. And Avram, verse 5, took his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot and all the wealth that they had amassed and what else? All the persons they had acquired in Haran. Those be slaves? Ah. So, are they slaves? Pam's going to That's tell us what the Midrash says, I'm sure. Right, Pam? What does the Midrash tell us? I have no idea. Because oh. <laughs> it's right up your alley. Um, the Midrash tells us that these are... Converts. Yes. Of course. Converts to what? Uh-huh. Ah, so... For the Midrash, that's not a problem, that there's not yet anything to convert them to. That's not a problem for the Midrash. right? The Midrash says that Avram was living such a righteous life in relationship to this one God that it influenced all the people around him, and they too started to worship the one God. And so that's what it means that they made those people. They made them God-fearers. They made them monotheists. Rita? So in English it says the people, but in Hebrew it says hanefesh, so that means the souls. So it really speaks to the idea of something internal having happened to those people. Correct. So for the rabbis, they look at nefesh, right, and say, ah, that means the soul has been changed in, in such a way that they were remade, right? They are born again, if you will. So that's the lechah, inside yourself. So, so every one of them maybe needed to do a lech lecha mm-hmm. to go to themselves to have that change of attitude, of heart. Yeah? I, I just thought of something that maybe, maybe because he's an old guy and he doesn't have children, and how, are, how is he going to be a great nation? Maybe the people around him looked at him as a father figure. Because we don't know yet how he's going to be made a great nation. So you're saying maybe he sees these people maybe. as the people that will be the Goy Gadol since he has no offspring. Right. And so he's got to take them or else he ain't going to have a people. <laughs> okay. 
Um, I think, and to Judith, to your point, it w- lech lecha is very clearly in the singular. It is very clearly in the Hebrew singular. Avram's answer to that is communal. That's very Jewish to me. He's told lech lecha. He says, okay, I'm going to do this thing. So let me go get my people. Let me go get my community and we'll go. So the call is singular. The call is to every single one of us to move into the absolute unknown. The absolutely unknown. From, by the way, an unknown voice. (laughs) This is not a known God in the region. An unknown God calls you to go to an absolutely unknown place. And the answer is, okay, we'll go. (laughs) Together. It is very Jewish to me. That we each have to answer the call. We are a, a response, we are a tradition that understands the responsibilities on every single one of us and on every single one of us uniquely. It's not the same lech lecha for each one of us. Right? And mi beit avicha from your father's house is not the same house. It's not the same address for each one of us. What each one of us leaves is different. What each of us has to do to journey inward before we step out is different and unique and that's supposed to be remember the whole Babel business it's supposed to be different but when we go we go together oh great thanks Laura <laughs> <laughs> well he's the man of the house and whoever he's with Yep. But what, what, wasn't there- and sometimes, <laughs> well, when we're working with metaphor, we get to do whatever we want. We get to we get to take this message as a metaphor for us in a way that strengthens us. So you know, I'm always never going to shy away from the literal. What's going on here? I never will I do that. So yes, he was the patriarch. He got to make that decision, hundred percent, and everybody had to go, hundred percent, as a metaphor. What's going to inspire me in this moment is we're called individually to do what each of us needs to do to get ourselves going. And when we actually go, we're going to go together. This is not a solo flight. Uh, And we're going to bring the posse with us. Um, And even working within your metaphor, I think there are times right now I feel desperately like I want to hear from somebody who knows where the hell we're going or, or feels the conviction that we're going and so come with me, whether you like it or not, and grabs me by the hand and yanks me along. And as a leader, we can trust and believe that they have heard the call, that they really have heard the voice, and that we really are moving towards something, even if it's completely unknown. I right now would love a matriarch to do that for me, a patriarch to do that for me, right? So the, the visionary leader who says, we got this. But Amy, that's part of why you have care? such a huge group here today. Did you hear mm-hmm. what Richard right? you just said was looking for that patriarch and you'd love to have somebody. That's why people voted for Trump. <laughs> but I first said matriarch. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because so, it's, it's both. That, that coin flips both ways, doesn't it? That we want someone strong to lead us, and that's how... We've come to this moment in American history, right? Because people are looking for totalitarian you know, answers to 100%. And the flip side of that is it's going to take just as strong a vision to pull the rest of us behind it to figure out what's next. Judy? How does he know that this is a benevolent place that he's being called to go? that this is going to be a good thing. It seems he's, if he trusts this voice that's telling him to go, then he's going to trust what the voice says next, which is, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless everyone who blesses you, curse all that curse you, and all the families of the earth will bless themselves through you. That doesn't sound so bad. (laughs) Right? Like, that somehow my doing this is going to be a blessing not only immediately, but for all the people of the world? But bad people make promises too. Exactly right. Isn't and so, and 
but blessings, which mm-hmm. made me understand even then as being inherently worthy. Well, and Judy, I think the point is we ha- that we have to determine: do we believe the voice promising this is good mm-hmm. or nefarious? And that's not easy always to discern when the call is do this and it's going to go really great for you. Like, so wh- <laughs> what is calling me in? What is calling me into that? Right. Is it my own ego? Is it my own desire? For, you know, or, or is it really this is how you will be a blessing yeah. to others? And that and discerning that is a big part of the Lech Lecha work, I think, that goes inward. Right. That turns inward. I think also there is no ego in the in the offering? Yeah. Uh, do this. Uh, it's not like do this like sweep my floor or mm-hmm. you, know, you know clean my windows. It's like become a good leader, become a good person and a whole person. So there's no ego in the offering in the sense that if you do this, you will be a leader, people will follow your leadership, and that will make it a great place, a good world. So our own intent in following yes. helps determine the quality of it. So hard. I, maybe that little quiet voice. Maybe it wasn't a thundering, loud internal voice. Maybe it was just like, you should go, you should go, go there. And and what? So maybe doesn't God keep testing Abraham all the way through? Even mm-hmm. with, oh yeah. Right. Oh, oh yeah. This is just the beginning. And, right. And so. <laughs> Maybe that call went out to a lot of people, you know. <laughs> Maybe who picked up the phone, you know, is the one who is the strong leader who can take. So you bring up a really good point because for the Neoplatonists, Rambam, Maimonides, who's a Neoplatonist, um, for them and the Neo-Aristotelians, which means the you know that period of of, of uh, commentary in our history of some of our greatest thinkers, um, they said if God is perfect, right? God is unchanging. God can't change. So God can't be speaking one minute and not speaking another minute. There, there can't be a motivation within God to reach out to Avram because that suggests a need on God's part that then God addresses. That's a change in the divine. For Neoplatonists, Neo-Aristotelian, you can't have that. God is the unmoved mover. God is perfect and unchanging. God is thought thinking itself. It never changes. How do you deal with this then? How do you deal with this that God spoke to Avram. God forbid, says Maimonides, you should interpret it as God spoke to Avram. God forbid. God is always speaking. The great radio station signal that is the divine call is always emanating. Always. It's about who has the ability to tune their dial to pick up the signal. It's Avram who's dialing in to the signal that is always going out. So they, they absolutely go where you just went. The, the call is going out. And it's who, who picks up the phone. We, Moshe, in that great moment, Moses, right? What does it say? That Moshe saw the sneh, right? There's this the burning, the and turns aside to look and see. How many people passed that sneh? How many people passed that bush? Right? Moshe turned aside to see. He stops and he pays attention. And how long did it take him to realize it wasn't being consumed? <laughs> An even longer time. Where's the ability to think coming from all of this? I mean, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about it now, I'm thinking about everybody who talks about God, a different God. God's telling people to do different things, different religions. And where's that ability to think and figure things out? So for us, that is part of God. That, that is part of what it means to be made in God's image is that we think that that's what we must do right that's using our God-given abilities and that that's part of the divine call is this is to decipher what's me what's ego what service what's a good cause what's not how do I know right all, you have to have all of that to answer the call you have to think Dana and I just noticed this one little point Right before the Torah portion, it talks about Sarah being barren. Mm-hmm. So when oh, yeah. Abram goes out, and he's going he's gonna to promise to have a great nation, he doesn't know that she's not going to be barren. And I think it's interesting that he took his brother's son, Lot, with him. 
So he had a son, but it wasn't his directly. So, you know, oh, is this legitimate? I don't have my own son to do this. But he's still going out. Take two. So I, I think that's Take two pages and pass. I think it's interesting he made the choice to go ahead. Well, Aviva Zorenberg finds it very significant. One of the greatest scholars of our time, Dana, uh, finds what you said absolutely significant. Um, I, I had no idea there were going to be so many of you here this morning. I thought we might be opening the, opening the building for five people. Um, I was hopeful and optimistic and went for 20. And it's double that in this room. So I am moved and so glad we're all here. And that means you're going to need to share <laughs> papers. Laura? This, this is from Zornberg? Um, this is from Aviva oh, Zornberg. Okay. I have the book. So oh, good. Nice. Somebody needs it. Me and, and for my friend, we've been talking about what's been so painful is thinking how so many of our fellow Americans hate you know, certain members of our other Americans so much. And that's, that's one of the hardest parts. How does this happen? How do they contend? It hurts me personally because Americans can tell me what you need. And so I think that this story can try to help in that piece of it. It doesn't fix it, but it is a way of trying to understand. And I'm not talking about the blatant racist and anti-Semites, but I'm talking about the people who are voting for, you know, without thinking that that's their number one issue. Um, but they are also trying to figure out how to talk to people that they don't understand. And they don't understand. They do not understand the hurt that they've caused. And that they're just trying to go out and they've gotten caught up with this leader who said, you know, you're gonna you'll get a job now. So it, it, it helps I think to mitigate the hurt a little bit by thinking other people are just trying to find follow their message, whatever it may be, and as as strongly as I may disagree with them. I think that is an absolutely critical point that you've just made, Laura. And it's what we're going to have to do to come together as a country. We, and I'm not saying this blithely, like, oh, this is healing and here it is. Like, I mean, we are going to have to hear that some people are following their call because their lives are crap. And there's no hope in the place of my birth, the pl- on my street, in my neighborhood, in my town, in the factories that are closing. There's no hope. That gives me hope that I will have a job, my family will be fed, my son and daughter will have a future. We have to, we have to hear that that is their lech lecha. And we have failed to hear that as a nation. We have failed, and I got the wake-up call the same time everybody else did, that I, too, failed to hear in my bubble, in my balloon, even though we say it in here all the time, even though we say it in here every week, I failed to really understand and to hear their pain and their desperation. And equally, they have a responsibility to hear the pain that they have caused by the, yeah, you know, but by not caring about the other stuff that's it. By putting all that other stuff first. So that is, um, I mean, I just, I don't know that. all right, Roseanne, you want to disagree? We're Jews. Go for it. Okay, because I think, um, I think what has happened here isn't that we aren't sensitive to the plight, that Hillary wasn't sensitive to the plight of the poor or the middle class. I think this was a manipulation utilizing scapegoating, which is very similar to, I think people can be manipulated, and this group of people was manipulated to feel like there was an answer, and the answer was hate other people, hate the outsider, hate the other, because they're to blame. Okay, so 100%, I'm in no way disagreeing with that. I think that is 100% true. I think what I'm trying to say is I did not know or take seriously how angry they are. Yes, they were manipulated because the person they voted for is not going to do that for them. The person they voted for actually is voting against the the person who would represent policies who actually would help the poor. That's what I believe. And so I I 100% agree with you. I, I did not, in our silos, in our, yes, we care. 
I don't think I got the wake up call that, and that I didn't take seriously how bad it was or is that that needed to be addressed as much as the material needs, the anger, the rancor, the need to put it somewhere, the need to make somebody guilty. I completely underestimated how ready to be tapped that was, how strong that was. Gloria? Um, I agree with exactly with what you just said, but I think one of the things that, that that disturbs me is that we here in California, the West Coast, the East Coast, we live in we live in one bubble. We are listening to I mean all the news shows and the newspapers that I read, I'm thinking to myself, you know, half these people aren't listening are are they aren't reading those things that I'm reading. They aren't listening, or they've tuned out uh, that media that I'm listening to. And it's like we have, and I don't know how we ever, how is the power about It's battle. And it's, it's also, it's one of the real issues of our time, I think, and we're seeing it now, is that we aren't watching the same news, and we aren't reading the same articles. And I never have to listen to the voice that is contrary to my opinion, and I think it's gotten so much to the point that I don't even realize there is one that's a very articulate or right because I don't ever watch Fox News right so I and um and and we're working in two in more than two we're working in in media silos that we're all hearing the message we pick we're choosing who's filtering the facts for us and that's happening everywhere so it strengthens everybody's own opinion or worldview and it's never challenged really because you can turn them off you can switch to another station. Or it is going to be a discussion we have to have. We we really have to have that conversation because it's it's scary. Because if I don't hear the other side, I can so easily discount it, can't I? Well, that's just silly. Who would vote? Who who really? Who would do that? Well, if you're if you marinated in it all day, you get who would list, Who would be convinced by that and and how that's convincing. Understanding each other because we're speaking different languages. I'm a speech and language therapist, and kids come in who people can't understand, mm-hmm. and I understand them. And they then could communicate with the world many times. But I have a place in their heart because I've taught them to talk to be understood. They can be understood. That idea of being understood mm-hmm. by other people and understanding other people is so powerful. Mm-hmm. And we don't under just like I mean. I don't understand why someone would vote for him. Mm-hmm. They don't understand why I would vote for her. We're different languages. Mm-hmm. And we're not listening to each other. We're not struggling to understand the kid who can't communicate with us. No we, we, are no, we are not struggling. We turn it off. We switch Facebook pages. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. We switch to the next channel. We look at a different print media. We shut that mm-hmm. other down and are not trying to figure out what's the code. What am I missing? Because I don't understand why anybody would vote for someone who... But but I'm not struggling very hard to listen to them tell me. Right? There was a statistic. 50% of Hillary voters knew no, no one was voting for Trump. 70% of Trump voters knew nobody was voting for Hillary. That, <laughs> that, that, that says it, okay? Yeah, what's your name? Carol Carr. Carol. She, I think she's pointing to something, which is, um, and you tapped on it too, is we're still, like, we have an accountability. Like, we may not get the language, but we can't just stop there just because we don't understand it. It's like we're accountable for getting that understanding to some degree so that we can take action. I think that is well said about where we are right now, is we have got, one of the ways forward is we have got to figure out how to listen and truly understand what's happening. We're, we don't even have a clue, I don't think, right now, what's happened. You know, everyone's trying to analyze, and, you know, I don't think anyone has a clue. We know something about what's happened, about rage and despair and, and anger. and um, we, But we have got to start figuring out what what people on the other side of stuff are are saying and what they're experiencing and 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 we we have to or we won't be able to take the right action because whatever we thought 
led us to action that did not yeah. was not successful. It didn't work. So we we need to take that and learn and pick ourselves up and figure out what the next task is. Welcome. In, in, in the sea, where everything is as one, until that's there's a separation between heaven, until there is duality, until there is God and Abraham, in the actual separation of whatever is the potential for creation. And only when one goes outside of their comfort zone and goes where it's uncomfortable, where there's that gap, where there could potentially be that flood of confusion, only then... When you're outside, if you apply your maximum effort, because I guess the next stories are how much effort that was, and you apply the effort there, where it's not comfortable, and and meet those challenges, the light, God, creation, takes care of the rest. Okay, well, we're just going to stop there. (laughs) (laughs) Can you write that down? Um, Tell me your name. I don't want to speak because this is my first time. It's like so obvious. (laughs) Well said. And we're going to be great activists together. We're in a different comfort zone. We're look inside. What's my comfort zone? What's my comfort zone? What's yours? The next. And each one of us individually, so we can come together and create a critical mass shift. That is the goal, right? Is to figure exactly <laughs> what you just said, what she said. Um, <laughs> no tower, it's just Meg. Meg? Um, yes. So go back and listen to the podcast of this class from Genesis, from, from the creation narrative. That, that was a lot of what we talked about. That in the separation, in the pulling apart, that there's room for creation and, um, and, it, and it creates the possibility of relationship. In the, there is no relationship without separation, separation and distance. And, and so what we have to tend and work on is the willingness to relate, I, I think. That's one of the critical pieces and to understand. Exactly. All right, quickly I want to look at um, page 76 of what I handed you. This is Aviva Zorenberg from her amazing book, The Beginning of Desire. As always, we will only take a small chunk because she's, she's so much to take in that we'll take a small chunk. But I want it because someone brought it up, and it, it's beautiful. So 76, barrenness. Remember, Sarah is barren. They have no children. I will make of you a great nation. Uh, how? Because traditionally in the ancient world, that meant your son. And absolutely, Lot was taken along, I believe, as, as uh, Avram's surrogate. We've had lots of conversation in this room about surrogates, haven't we? So, uh, and adopted sons and inheritors. So um, that's probably why Lot is along, for sure, one of the reasons. Sarai was barren. Zorenberg writes, the barrenness of Sarai evokes the other meaning of the word akara. The couple is uprooted. So in, again, she goes to the, the Hebrew, which is so much deeper. Barren and to uproot. To yank out of the ground is akara. The ground cut from under their feet. Voluntarily, they respond to a call to alienation from all that gives self a placement in the world. By removing themselves from the normal conditions of fruitfulness, they, at least on the face of things, cut off vital sources of nourishment, doom themselves to a sterile nomadic existence in which no organic fibers of connection and fertility can grow. That is why, according to Rashi, the blessings that follow immediately on the call of Lech Lecha are so necessary and so paradoxical. The divine command thrusts Avram and Sarai into the eye of the storm, takes the problem of akarut, barrenness, and has them act out all the meanings of deracination, of disconnection from a succession of pasts. 
Just take that in for a second. <laughs> so to uproot, to be thrown into the eye of the storm is to leave, right? To to act out all the meanings of deracination, like deracifying. De- what is that? That is a disconnection from a succession of pasts. That, I, yeah, that resonates with me a little bit right now. There's been a break with a succession of pasts. It's something else now. An act of radical discontinuity is, it seems, depicted in the Torah as the essential basis for all continuity. For that act of birth that will engender the body and the soul of a new kind of nation. I mean, can, can I mean, we just write it on the wall, like for this week? That act of birth will engender the body and the soul of a new kind of nation. <laughs> Let it be from her mouth to God's ears. At the very beginning of human life on earth, after God had created Eve, had made Adam before that, right? Before God created Eve, had made Adam unconscious, removed a rib, and closed the flesh. The narrative voice had proclaimed, hence, a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife so that they become one flesh. The Targum translates, therefore shall a man leave his parents' bedroom. Not his father's, right? His father and mother. His parents' bedroom. There is a profound and often wrenching act of relinquishing to be undertaken before new unions can be established. The sterility of the child's involvement in the family romance has to be left behind in order that the self may find the other. And according to Rashi, in order that the new being, the Vlad, may be born. The Oedipal problem indicated by the Targum here is the basis for a cultural and probably counter-instinctual directive by God. So that's a lot. Um, All right, let's close with this. Avram's journey from your father's house can perhaps be seen as realization on a much more complex plane of this original and universal demand. He detaches himself from a spurious or at least outgrown place within an organism. He and Sarai are akarim. They recognize the sterility of the place that nurtured them. Right. So here uprooted is, is like barren in that it's sterile. It is disconnected from everything that nurtured it. So you can see how in Hebrew that actually might be a related stem of the word. To, to uproot is to be made sterile because you're cut off from the nutrients. It's the same word in, in Hebrew. In the full tension of that paradox, they exile themselves to place after place and encounter new possibilities of being. I'll let you read more on your own. Uh, for me, it's a note of not only hope, but like Bert said, both predictive and tzivoy and the command form. You must disconnect from a succession of pasts. It, it, that's what's happened. You're disconnecting from sources of nourishment that we, you've known till now, leaving something that ultimately is sterile because it isn't going to grow what needs to be grown now. The being that needs to be born. What needs to be born now requires this cut. It requires this this uprooting and disconnecting before there's room or space or motivation or whatever to figure out and create what's new, what's what what's waiting to be born. And I, I have to stay in that promise and command that we, we can step into what is calling to be born and it is our obligation to, to, to tend the gestation uh, of what we can't possibly... They can't imagine Isaac at this point. Do you understand that? They're 90 years old. When she hears she's pregnant, that there's something that's going to be, what does she do? She laughs out loud. Well, she doesn't. She laughs. She laughs because it's absurd. Are you kidding me? 
break. There's no way. We are 90 something. There's no way something is getting born out of this. With him so old, she says. Not, not her, right? You know, with him so old, that's going to be a seed that's fruit. Not possible. It's there's no way. And 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 we get Yitzchak. Go ahead, laugh. It has nothing to do with what's going on. The reality is, he's conceived. It's in there. You don't believe it? Okay, fine. Doesn't matter, right? It's it's it, it's coming. And we have to stay in the place of awaiting Yitzchak. Uh, have a wonderful Shabbos. That is a command from your rabbi. Um, make Shabbos for yourselves. Do something good for yourselves. That is a command from your rabbi. An order. You must make Shabbos this week. You must, and we must find ways to make Shabbos. We have to find ways to take a break from it all. The despair, the even people who are elated right now. Everybody's got to take a break from whatever's going on right now and say, okay, we're just going to settle down and settle in and take care of each other and take care of ourselves so that we are ready to hear what Lech Lecha is going to demand from us next. That is our privilege uh, and our responsibility as, as the Jewish people. Shabbat Shalom. Amen. Amen. <laughs> You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.